your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. Welcome back to special presentation with Mike and Ethan, or Elf will not be seen tonight. We are still on our, uh, what, what I like to think of as special presentation shows theme, because these are shows that, um, these are actual series, but they aired so little that you could more or less consider them specials. And... And right now we are focused on Capital Critters, the 1992 uh, quote-unquote animated adult series that ran on ABC for about five episodes. Yeah, it did not catch on. No. Last time we introduced the characters and the setting, and this time we are getting straight into the meat of what the hell is wrong with this show? <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, I think we... We uh, we hinted at some of the issues in uh, the previous episode. Um, obviously, there's a lot of issues with just the fact that it's characters are not that interesting. The jokes are not that sharp, but there's something deeper going on here. And uh, that that is the problem with with the show's politics. Yeah, which are very weird. Um, questionable. They feel, yes, they're questionable. They feel like um, OK. So, so I described it last episode as it feels like this was written by a, a kind of, you know, a liberal Hollywood screenwriter who had very little experience with anyone who was not of that very particular political persuasion. No, no idea of anything uh, far left, far right, or even moderately more left or right than him. Just could not conceive of any other way of thinking. And um, that that comes through a lot in this, and it comes through in some incredibly bizarre, blinkered ways. Like, it feels like it was written by someone who did not do a lot of self-examination uh, in writing these episodes. You know? Yeah. Um, now, the the main thing I think we should talk about is the racism. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so th- this is an uh, this is a show that wants to deal with racism. It wants to. Um, it, it wants to address this very, uh, pressing issue in American society because, um, you know, America, it's got a problem with racism, you know, yeah. it's got a big problem with it. I mean, um, actually, no, I don't think America has a problem with racism. I think America is just fine with its racism. They like it swell. Right. What I should say is America, America has a problem. There is a problem in America. That right here in America, America City. That's racist. There's a problem in Dinosaur City. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with like, America is if I win the lottery, I would have to change everything about my life. 
<laughs> in my country is a problem. In that, that problem is the Jew. In my country is a dark, dark room. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, um, the problem in in uh, Campbell Critters actually is, in some ways. Um, uh, so here's the thing. Let's let's let's. Uh, uh, so the the cockroaches who represent every minority live on a different floor. And um, and uh, they, and the mice live on the main floor, and these two groups don't like each other; they are prejudiced against each other. And um, part of the part of the issue here is in in doing trying to uh, talk about how racism is bad. Uh, what they try to do is be like, in some episodes, they're trying to pre- present it as this is a this is an irrational uh, belief that comes out of nowhere racism yeah it's, it's we don't know it's just crazy people are just do it just for no reason people are racist um which of course in real life we know that's you know it, it may be an irrational belief but people come yeah. to it because you know uh it's their way they're raised or their life experiences or you know whatever you know there's reasons that people become racist i'm not saying they're good reasons but it isn't that people wake up one day and they decide to be racist for you know out of nowhere which is kind of the way the show presents it yeah, and the show also pr- likes to present it as in this is uh, this is uh, this is a problem on everyone's side. White mm-hmm. people are racist against black people, and black people are racist against white people. These are two equal problems. <laughs> everyone's at fault. And um, I would argue that while uh, I, I, there may there probably does also exist some racism among black people against against white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue that that is not an equal problem because of the systemic power mm-hmm. that is wielded by the white majority in this country. <laughs> you know? And if you said that in 1992, people would look at you like, you know, crazy, liberal, hippie, something like that, or or probably say something much worse to you. Isn't that weird? It's so crazy to think that, like, in 1992, this was a fringe belief. You know, the, the one that we're saying now. That like in 1992, the audience would watch this and be like, that's right. Black people are also racist against white people. It's everyone's fault. It's like, this is this is very accurate and real. I would um, like to hear the reaction from a black person who had watched this first run. I, I'm curious as well, because, um, I mean, I, I think this was written, obviously, for a white audience. Yeah. You know, like Which the, is sort of weird because, you know, cartoons are by their very nature more inclusive. I mean, uh, there was a time when, uh, you know, say Star Trek conventions were pretty white, right? Even yes, though it was, yeah. yes. But even my first Transformers convention, I was astonished by how many black people were there. I was like, why do black people like Transformers so much? And then I was like, there's no black. Wait, there's no any race. They're all robots. They can everyone can see themselves as a transformer. That's why. That's a that's a very good point. And um, also, yeah, a lot of a lot of cartoons use furries. Yeah, for that very reason. Um, it's interesting. We're watching a show that uses furries and then very specifically uh, is like, yeah. no, no, no. It's racism still exists. And uh, it's racism where they are analogs for actual races. It's yeah. not like in Zootopia where they have the, the herbivores and the carnivores, but they don't really match up to any real world races, you know? Except um, that 
you know, it's it's not like the Italian roaches and the black roaches and the Jewish roaches are like different kinds of roaches. Yeah, they're all one kind of roach, which is yes. also a weird way to do it, because, yeah. you know, in reality, there are tensions between different minorities, just as there are tensions between the minorities and the majority population. So I thought you were going to uh, say there were tensions between different kinds of cockroaches. I was like, oh, have you I read mean, into that? Probably are. Well, you know, well, the German Madagascar hissing cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> your Madagascar hissing cockroaches uh, fight with your palmetto bugs. Oh, yeah. They just, oh, you know what? They just, they just, I, why can't they all just get along? Oh, if man. only we watched Capital Critters, they could know. Um, <laughs> we should have Bogleach on. He'd be able to tell us. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. We should have had Bogleach on for this episode. And oh, like, yeah. Bogleach, tell us about all the different kinds of cockroaches. Yeah, he knows about bugs. He be a, yeah, would yeah, be a good guest. Darn. <laughs> He's 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 the original bug man, you know, yeah. Stanley the but, bug man. Uh, no, he still is yeah. still going strong like yeah. a cockroach, you know, can't kill him <laughs> no matter how hard we try. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> we're talking about, like we're trying uh, and everyone's going to be like, why are they trying to kill Bogleach? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm not no. trying to kill Bogleach. No. I'm not. No, we're we we're <laughs> no, we're still grateful for the uh, for how for how Bog uh, shared shared our uh, shared the episode we did about Sinfest with everyone. That was a lot of we got a lot of hits from that. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, it put us in the big leagues. Yeah, boom. Um, oh, let me think. So, uh, but what we're saying about uh, different kinds of cockroaches is uh, oh, sorry. That the, yeah, they all minorities are just cockroaches in this, and they all yes. just they they basically act as if they were one just one group, but some of them are coded you know, different minorities. Um, but yeah, it's, this feels like a show that was like written, you know, uh, not, not from a place, not that the person who, who wrote this show, I do not feel like they were intentionally being racist. No, in, no, in but did. it's, but yeah, it's a, it's such a blindered, a blinkered form of just like, uh, you know, this is, you know, it's what they've learned about, racism from what you call what you mentioned earlier the after school specials you know it's yes it's yes. not it's not coming from a place of experience it's coming from a place of these are the things that it's safe to say on television yes exactly and it's the sort of thing where it feels a lot like when you watch um like uh a lot of like mini series about the civil war if you ever see any of these oh um, like uh the you mean the you know, my dearest Josiah, who I fear Spotsylvania shall fall kind of thing. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Or no, not, not even, a, not, not historical miniseries, oh, oh. sorry. Uh, but like, uh, there were a number in the uh, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, uh, that were basically like dramatic uh, miniseries set in the Civil War. I think it was one called North and South. Um, mm. There was, uh, I can't remember. There were a couple of these. And they're very weird to watch because... They were very clearly written, uh, you know, uh, th this is the thing. It's like in American society, slavery, we, we kind of recognize now, not good, right? Right. Not a good thing. But, right? Uh, but they also... <laughs> better say yes, writing, damn it. Yeah. I mean, we, we learned that one thing. You know, the slavery is bad. Now, um, the thing with these, a lot of these, these miniseries was they were like, okay, these are going to be on network television. We don't want to lose the Southern uh, viewing demographic. So they set this up as like, gosh, the Civil War. Well, everyone's at fault. 
You know, it's just like you look at like, hmm, well, these guys say slavery is is good and these guys say slavery is bad. I just can't decide, <laughs> you know, like that's that's the tone that these shows would take. Yeah. You know, which are very strange. And then like you'd have things where like they would intentionally be like like there was a like a segment where like a, a northern guy and a southern guy become friends and they're arguing about slavery and like, you know. Well, and the argument is like, well, you know, like uh, the southern guy is like, well, you know, a lot of, you know, you 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 have uh, workers in your factories. And that's just as bad. And it's like, <laughs> but it's not. It's not just as bad. And also, like, it's very odd because, OK, in this series, I remember, I think this is north and south. Uh, the southern guy at one point, they're, they're arguing about slavery. And the southern guy who is uh, he's presented as a. Um, you know, they, they want to make him so sympathetic, right? Mm -hmm. So he's not particularly pro-slavery, but, you know, he comes from a plantation and his, his parents own a lot of slaves. And there's a lot of scenes where, like, you know, there'll be the slaves will be being, being whipped and he's kind of there shaking his head like, mm, nah, I don't approve of this, mm, you know. But, um, you know, but, but he's like, yeah, but, you know, but we're making a lot of... But, but you know, my dad's in charge. What am I going to do? I can't tell him not to whip the slaves. I'm just the plantation owner's son. I have no power here when the foreman does stuff. Sorry, out of my hands. Um, and uh, but when he's arguing with the northern guy, he's saying like, "Well, you know, slavery. A lot of us think that slavery is really, you know, it's it's on its way out. It should just we shouldn't have it anymore because it's not profitable." And it's like, "Oh, we're supposed to be sympathetic to this guy? Yeah, he's yeah. anti-slavery because it's not making him money anymore." Um, that's, there is that's pretty much how people are now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it is. There is in, in this miniseries an, an, an uh, anti-slavery ab abolitionist, um, the the Southern guy's sister, played by Kirstie Alley mm. um, of Cheers fame. She is the uh, she is the wild-eyed radical who like hangs out with John Brown and wants to like stop slavery right now and free everyone from slavery because slavery is a moral abomination. Anyway, she's cuckoo bananas in this show. And, you know, they put, get, she goes nuts and goes to an insane asylum and everything because the show and the, the movie the series is always like, yeah, this is clearly, this is just, this is just crazy talk. This is crazy. Look at this radical. Oh, no, we don't want that. What we need is some, a nice, quiet, normal person who will, gradually free the slaves as slavery becomes un unprofitable yes. one um, by anyway, one <laughs> uh but anyway so my point is about this mini series this was all written and put on tv on network tv and clearly the writers thought this is a normal thing to put on tv this is a normal not controversial stance that slavery is bad merely because it's unprofitable and that to call it a moral abomination is just like too wacky and out there, you know, because we like the, the money from our Southern, you know, viewers and Nielsen's, um, you know, so it's this thing where you're like, uh, it's, it's kind of presented as if this is a, you know, this is, this is a, this is the, the normal thing that us as, as modern liberal viewers will of course agree with and think is good. But it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't think you really thought this through. I don't think this is as, liberal and modern a viewpoint as you seem to think it is um and capital critters feels like that as well yeah it, it, it feels like they thought they were doing something very very modern and thoughtful and liberal and progressive 
and instead created something that is not really any of those things. No. Um, um, because I think they thought they weren't really expecting. I mean, I think they pretty much thought like, yeah, only white people are going to see this. Yeah. So you really need to just, you know, assuage the white people watching it and make them feel good about their, you know, sensible, liberal, centrist viewpoint. Um, because, sorry, uh, Ethan, I've been talking a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think we're getting to the um, the one the, the episode that uh, really drives us home. And uh, that is the. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, is it? Okay, let me let me see the uh, episode titles. Is would it be? Oh, are you thinking of an embarrassment of roaches? I am indeed. Yeah, <laughs> that was the one that I got to, and I was like, "Yikes!" So, Ethan, this is your first time seeing that episode, right? Yes, yes, I never so, saw so it when me, it first ran. So, tell me your. I want to hear uh, your reaction to this. <laughs> how did you? How did this go over for you? Uh... I was, I, I, I'm still kind of processing it because it just seems like, it just seems like they completely threw their own concept out the door for this one. Like, you know, we want it to be, you know, this is a whole story where the episode is like, this is a metaphor for something. This is a metaphor for something. And then at the end, they're like, no, this isn't a metaphor for anything. We're literally just bugs and rats. So yeah. <laughs> trying to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. Jeez. And yo, know, an embarrassment of roaches is a story where, uh, our main characters, uh, uh, Janet and Max discover a big open space and, uh, and Janet decides to move into it because it's, uh, cause it's roomy and there's a, uh, heat and there's a steam pipe that provides heat. And, but, when they get back to it with Jemmet's stuff, they find that a elderly roach couple has moved in. And and this this starts to inflame the uh, old tribal rivalries between rats and roaches. And there's literally a, you know, a pitchfork mob waiting for the roaches. And this is when Max, who has never heard of such a thing as racism back on the farm, is just like, well, why do you hate each other? And... And Trixie is like, well, my parents, my parents hated them. Why did your parents hate them? I don't know. Probably because their parents hated them. And so they make a very good, you know, so the obvious answer is I mean, if you don't, if you can't think of a reason why you should hate them, then, then we should live in peace. And Trixie, for her part, is like, you know, you're right. We should do. Let's uh, let's give peace a chance. So the roaches move in and immediately lay a billion eggs and the whole place is flooded with baby roaches. Which, this is great replacement theory bullshit right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so, yeah. Um, and I think it ends with, like, finally, like, look, the roaches, you got to go back to your place because we, we can't have you here. And, and I think there's a very, there's this kind of, like, in, in they're trying to be melancholy at the end where they're like, well, maybe someday we can live in peace. But for now, I guess we're just too different. And so it's like, what do you think is going to change about your literal physiological makeup? Are, yeah. are the rats going to become, you know, more fertile or the, uh, I mean, we always say already say breeding like rats in a grain barrel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this episode's um, 
great replacement overtones are not helped by the fact that the cockroach couple in it are coded extremely Jewish. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this is literally about, you know, Jews, you know, Jewish characters uh, crowding out uh, everyone. Now, they make it very clear that it's a short thing, that cockroaches grow up in the space of a few minutes. Because later, later there's an episode where uh, Max and... Uh, Max and Moe's are teaching some cockroach kids to play baseball and they're like, okay, okay. Class is over. You're going to be hitting puberty in in an hour. Yeah. And and um, you hear the kids be like, wait, I'm growing. Hey, we're the girls. Yeah. So like you said, in some episodes, they're just rats and rats and roaches. And then other times, no, no, this is a metaphor. Also, there are some, I don't think that they really, put a lot of thought into this. I mean, because let's talk about the Roach world. They have a city. They have apartment buildings. They drive in RC cars. They have restaurants. The rats live in basically a tent city just underneath the floorboards. And yet the roaches are all like, hey, this place is nice. I want to send my kids to school here. Yeah, that is very odd. They don't really, like, I, like you said, I don't think they really thought through much about this. Yeah, the rats, know? the rats are just scavengers. They're basically homeless, whereas the roaches have an actual civilization. And yet, I guess this is to pound home the idea that uh, maybe we're not so superior after all. But you, know, you, you should have actually said that. Yeah. You should have brought any of this to anyone's attention. I mean, I feel like, you know, they could have done something with this if they were like, if the rats went down to the roach area and were like, you know what? This is really nice. We should take this over. I mean, we should gentrify this place. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the roaches, they don't appreciate what they got here. We should just go in and take it over. Because, I mean, that would actually that would actually score up with a lot of things in American history Uh from, you know, stealing native land to, you know, gentrification. Mm -hmm. Um, But they don't they don't do that. There is an episode where where Jamet and um, Max do go to the Roach City and uh, go to jail there. I, I don't know if it's one of the ones that you No, uh, I didn't I didn't get to watch that one. No, I, right. I watched the first I watched the first seven episodes and then uh, also the the one about the fallout shelter and the one about the hunger strike. OK, so this episode where they go to the, the Roach City, really, the takeaway is that roaches are equally racist against uh, rats as rats are against roaches because they get railroaded by the kangaroo court of the roach justice system because all the roach jurors are like, well, we're racist against you, so we're going to throw the book at you. That's basically what it is. So uh, um, it's very so- fond. This show is very fond of doing that. Like, hey, they're just as racist as we are. So it's all OK. So, you know, um, I just I just want to say, but the the I mean, because when he asks Trixie, why do we hate roaches? And they're like, I don't know what happened so long ago and it doesn't matter anymore. And it's just like, you know what? A this country is only about 240 years old. It wasn't that long ago. We were writing shit down. We know <laughs> why there are racial tensions. <laughs> It had something yeah. to do with packing bodies into a ship. <laughs> that is a very American thing, though, where we just we do like we do like to pretend that uh, th- these these um, these issues are just lost. You know, the origins are lost in the mists of time. We don't know why 
you know, we, why there's racism in America. We just, we just don't know. You know, it's a mystery. It's, it's very much like when you see, honestly, it's a lot like when you see Americans try to talk about the Middle East, you know, like, yeah, where they have, where they're just, <laughs> you know, what's a, what countries are in the Middle East? Oh, oh, well, we, we should know because we basically wrote the, made the borders for them and named them all. Yeah. But it's just like, it's like, oh, you know, those people over there, they've been fighting for no reason for forever. It's just the thing with them. You know, these, you know, it's like, no, there, there's a history there. And yeah, like you said, we were very involved in it and making it what it is today. But, um, you know, America, I think we are, we are a people with like, um, you know, you know, we, we don't really have a, a memory, a cultural yeah. memory. These we're, we're eternal innocence. Um, if we, I, if we did, we would never stop hitting ourselves. I mean, that's true. I mean, it is by design that our history is hidden from us. Um, you know, you don't learn, you don't go to school to learn American history. You go to learn yeah. you know, American propaganda and how great we are and how much the slaves loved working for us mm -hmm. and building the country. Um, and here's how, a you know, here's a handy mm -hmm. tip for your geography lesson. Anytime you go somewhere to some national park and it's called like, you know, devil's hot tub or, uh, or uh, devil's foot massage or something like that. It was probably named for the gods of one of the locals. And, the, the assumption from the English speakers was that anything that called itself a god to these people must be the devil. I mean, yeah, that's that's America. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so but yeah, that is the thing is like America. Ha we have intentionally uh, destroyed and hidden so much of our history. Um, you know, almost everything. I mean, we know so little about pre-Columbian America or, yeah. you know, the natives here, um, you know, because we killed them all. And uh, we could have survived. Asked, but... <laughs> yeah, they were forbidden to, uh, you know, practice their culture or know their own history. And so, you know, and, um, you know, and, and so much of the even recent history is, is, you know, almost hidden from us right now. We're living through a time when, like, you know, a, a large number of people in this country get very angry if uh, school children are taught accurate history about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, genocide and slavery. Um, they cannot deal with this. So. A lot of people get very angry if recent current events are uh, are uh, reported on accurately. <laughs> yes. Um, so what I think we're saying is that the world that we're seeing in um, uh, Capital Critters is one that a lot of people who don't want to deal with the history of America would find very comforting. Yeah. You know? It's it's a world where there are bad things, but it's nobody's fault and nobody really knows why they happen. Um, and it definitely doesn't require us to change anything about ourselves or our society. Um, but uh, yeah, so so but it's, it's it's it does for me, it seems very weird because these are things being put forward by a show that feels like it's intended to be fairly, you know, mainstream liberal so the writer i don't know if they actually this is what they actually believed or they thought this is what would play well in america but clearly the the fact that this went on air means that nobody at any point in the production of the show was like oh that's like that's the great replacement yeah maybe maybe that's not good i mean maybe great replacement wasn't as well known at the time i mean i'm frequently frightened by how many things that I used to only read about when I would 
you know, paw through a picture book about, uh, you know, what the Ku Klux Klan tried to do through morbid curiosity. How much of it is, you know, common knowledge now? How everyone knows what uh, what uh, 1488 stands for now. Mm, mm, that's a good point. Um, 1992, we were gone way too mainstream for my comfort. Yeah. Um, I think in previous episodes, we mentioned how the 90s were kind of like the long sleep. You yeah. Know, like a decade long uh, nap where everything seemed like, um, you know, it seemed like a lot of these battles had been had been won mm-hmm. uh, and the good guys were were the victors. You know, um, and the and the winds kept coming. We we actually patched up the ozone hole. That was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, man. I remember when I was a kid and I thought that would be the death of us all. And nope, that we did. We did good with that. Yeah. Um, what happened? But, Why can't we um, keep doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah. So this was also 1992 before the Internet. You know, I, I pretty much I think most of us didn't have Internet at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get it until 1996. No. Yeah. That's about the time we got it, too. So it's not like you could look up a lot of this stuff. Um, and I feel like so the, the concept of the Great Replacement, if it may not have been as widespread, um, people may not be familiar with it. But I feel like uh, I feel like. In 1992, one thing that most people would be still familiar with is the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. because you would have been taught about that in school. I learned about it in fourth grade. We learned about the Holocaust. We didn't go very deep into it, you know, like the way it was taught was pretty superficial. Um, But what we did know is that the Nazis called Jews cockroaches and talked about them outbreeding everyone. So... You know, even so seeing that in this in yeah. 1992, like, really? <laughs> did you come on? You, I don't you think take... this is one of the ones that aired on ABC. And I wonder if that's why I do you think that someone actually like pulled a plug. They suddenly recognized what was going on. I was like, nope. But then someone at Cartoon Network was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it seems fine. Well, what's the difference, right? Yeah. 1488, I mean, like, am I right? <laughs> Got to fill that content hole, you know, Um but yeah, this is um, it's 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 so it's so strange uh, that episode. I mean, the way that this show deals with race is strange in general. But yeah. This episode especially. Um, I, I feel like a big part of it is just that this was written probably by, you know, a well-meaning, yeah, but so. not deep thinking white person. Yes. Who Gentile who like, oh, white person. Yes. Gentile. Yeah. Who just kind of was like, yeah, you know, this this makes sense. This is a this is a good both sides of uh, of this this issue, um, because that you know, I'm, yeah, it's it's so weird. <laughs> I just I can't say enough how how odd it is to see this uh, this episode and to know that you know they they animated it and and during that whole process, no one was like, hmm. Well, I, it is worth noting that and as, that at this time they were doing as much of the actual animation overseas as possible. So I'll bet a lot of the Korean animators knew even less about it than we do. That's true. That's true. But I mean, I'm sure the script had to go through, you know, through a few uh, uh, layers of executive before yeah. it got okayed. And you would think, I mean, not to be stereotypical, but like, oh, some Hollywood executives, you tell me you didn't have any... Jewish guys in that group who would be like, hmm, I don't know about this, you know? I mean, uh, this was, 
you know, even though it didn't run on the Fox network, it was provide pro, it was produced by 20th Century Fox Television. Mm. So who That's were true. still very new at the time. Was Fox uh, was was Fox a Nazi channel at that point? I mean, I <laughs> no, think no, I don't think so. But, but I mean, I believe Rupert Murdoch owned it even at the time. That's true. And he is Australian. So we yes. know that he is very racist. <laughs> They they are a very racist country. That's why we get along so well with them. Um, but um, anyway, uh, we were going to talk about the gun episode. Oh yes, the gun episode. So yeah, let's let's let's, let's talk about the gun episode. Um, so this is another episode about a political, uh, a hot button political topic at the mm-hmm. time: uh, gun violence and gun control. I think it's kind I guess of it's it's not really about gun control now that I think about it. No, it isn't. It's, what it really is, it's using it's using the gun as instead of, instead of representing an actual gun, the gun represents, uh, you know, uh, the uh, building up your nuclear arsenal, more or less, because it's. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, because so, what what happens is that we have what we call a high then die character. Mm-hmm. We we meet a new character who is a little bit annoying, but uh, is seems friendly enough. And then we witness him getting eaten by the presidential cat. Yeah, which you know is is yeah. It, I mean, it's pretty intense for a cartoon. But then this is a series that started with you know the the hero's entire family getting gassed to death. So yeah. You know. Well, it would be very interesting if, you know, that could... Oh, and in the very first episode, it looks like Muggle has been gassed to death. But, uh, you know, being a being 90% chemicals himself, he uh, st- he sets up with no problem. But, oh, yeah. you know, how interesting would it have been if this had been a sitcom where characters died, like, regularly? Like, what if there had yeah. been an episode where Berkeley died? I mean, it'd basically be uh, the Dilbert show then. <laughs> I was thinking of, like, Sliders... And how oh, yeah, the yeah. entire cast ended up changing by the end of the series. Oh, really? I thought Rembrandt was there the whole time, though. Oh, yeah. Rembrandt stuck around. He ended up, I guess he ended up being the star. But uh, then they lost, you know, they lost uh, Ar- Professor Arturo. And then they lost Wade. And then they, then they lost, uh, lost Quinn and got his brother. And then he and his brother got merged into another person. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> Sliders got pretty there. fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, geez, geez. All I remember is like, is, uh, I just remember them like, hey, cue ball. Whoa, what the <laughs> devil's going on here? I just remember that. <laughs> they said that sort of thing a lot. Um, the crime wow. man. Uh, so, yeah, so our, our, our hide and die guy, Felix. Yeah, uh, Felix. gets eaten by the cat. And uh, that sets in motion that Jamet wants to fucking get that cat. Yeah. Ja- um, you know, Jamet feels very bad because... Because Felix is a real kind of tag along, can I come, can I kind of character, he tells them to wait to go to the back of the line as they're uh, fielding their way through these mousetraps, which means that he's the one that uh, gets left behind when they run when they run from the cat. So right. so Jamet gets, you know, you know, he just gets a murderous rage on for the cat. So he goes up to the attic and finds a revolver, which was apparently as one of the nameless mice who goes with him says it was a gift to president Johnson from someone named Jedgar Hoover. Yeah. It's, it's the joke. The joke. 
jokes. And jokes. yeah, we I love mean, our jokes. like I said, this this has jokes. It doesn't, but it flounders in metaphor like material. So yeah, yeah so you think so. Because it's about a handgun, you think it's about gun violence, but no, it's about the arms race. Because because all this time, uh, Max is trying to tell Jamet, well, if you shoot the cat, you know what's going to happen? They're going to get a bigger cat. I, was like, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> I think, I I think like it would cause an international incident if somebody shot the president's cat. Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe that it would not just be like, oh, let's get another cat. It'd be like, how... Yeah, it would be like somebody has infiltrated the White House and, and shot the president's cat. It's kind of a big deal if that happens. That, that would be a horrifying thing. The entire country would be unified. Even the people who didn't vote for George H.W. would be like, you don't mess with our country's first cat. My God. Yeah. Can you imagine if like who? Like if socks had been shot? God. That would be, it would be a complete... If socks had been shot, it would have unified the country. We'd be on a different timeline now. Yeah, we'd be on we'd be on the Michael Jordan as um, as uh, <laughs> uh, James Bond timeline. Damn, God, we got to go back in time and shoot socks. Oh no! <laughs> they they killed the president's cat. <laughs> the new thriller. Um, <laughs> Oh my god, the, the plot to kill the plot to kill the president's cat. <laughs> they saved Sox's brain. <laughs> Man, we should write this down. This is a yeah. good shit. <laughs> um but uh okay, then you know what this episode makes a little more sense as a metaphor for the uh nuclear arms race. Yeah. Um cuz I didn't get it and it was bizarre to me because um you know, uh uh Jammet is like, I got a gun. I'm going to shoot that cat. And Max and Berkeley are against him having a gun. They're like, this is bad. You should not have a gun around. And in the con, and I understand it's like, okay, because guns are, guns are bad as a sensible, you know, yes. liberal, moderate. I don't like guns, but these are mice who are going to use the gun against the cat which in their world is like a monster that exists only to kill them. So I feel like Jamet's actually pretty rational in this sense. So yeah, you, you might want to get rid of that cat, you know, I don't think, you know, cause, because I, you know, it's going to kill you. Yeah. So, uh, but also the, this the brings episode. up the question that if, if they kill the presidential cat, does the vice presidential cat become the new presidential cat? And then like oh. the, and if they kill both of them, is there like a speaker of the house cat to take their place? <laughs> Man, see, there's so much potential in this series. <laughs> just, they never go anywhere with it. I mean, instead, we really just get lectures about like guns in this. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I was surprised there was no whales episode. That's true. There isn't a way because th that is exactly the sort of thing they would do, though. Yeah, that's exactly. It's a it's a it's a it's an issue. That everyone, every, or uh, I should say, every right-minded person mm -hmm. can agree on that whales are good and should be saved. You know, like I know yeah. there's, I, I, I know it's, I know there's a lot here, but like I feel like that they would be like, we should do that episode because nobody's gonna disagree. We're not getting any angry letters if we say that we should save the whales. Yeah. Um, well, people will put it, on those bumper stickers that say, "Be a hero, save a whale, save a baby, go to jail." 
No, they to don't show have an abortion you, episode yeah, in this, do Yeah, they? to show, no, there, that would have been an interesting episode. Who would have had the abortion? Probably a roach. <laughs> Probably. Well, I'm trying to think, like, if they would, would they have to do it as a metaphor or just straight up do it, you know? <laughs> I would like to think that, yeah, there's an abortion clinic and you just sort of wheelbarrow your eggs into it. And they're just like, yeah, do it fast. I don't want to look. <laughs> they're, um. There are so what actual uh, political topics do we deal with in Capital Critters? Okay. There is a gun episode, even though it doesn't really make much sense. Okay, um, let's see. The first one is about you know just uh, this Max going to Washington in the first place. The second one is about about Max getting being really inspired by a certain uh, congressman, only to find that he's been taking payola and getting uh, and becoming deeply you know, disenchanted with the whole political system. And that's when we get his, our first, I'm moving. Oh yeah. That, that episode feels like it, it really like, especially at the end where Muggle takes him to the Lincoln monument and Max is like, Oh, I'm inspired again. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, you know, it's just like, Oh God, jerking off America, whatever, Ugh. you know? Yeah. Um, look at, look how big and hard that Washington monument is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, then we have the rat to bear arms, the gun episode, which that's the, gun I mean, the episode, title yeah. makes it sound like it's gun, a gun episode, not, a, no. you know, so, um, and, uh, and Oh, which, um, then hat and mouse uh, is the next one. That's the one. That one? Now here's the thing, the thing, the weird thing about capital critters for me, the thing that really confused me about it is that it's sequential. These episodes are not just episodic. You're supposed to watch them in in sequence because in episode in episode one uh, we have Max escaping from another gas attack at the White House itself, and that's when he meets Mose for the first time. And Mose saves his life because he wasn't uh, he wasn't uh, vulnerable to the mouse to the rat poison that was being sprayed in, and he drags uh, Max to safety. So in episode four, Max happens to end up in the in the cockroach town and he he leaves his hat behind and Mose finds the hat and recognizes it. So he comes up to the top to the rat side of things to uh, return it. And that become that's kind of the uh, beginning of showing the the tensions between uh, Roach Town and Rat Town, which I don't think have official names, do they? No, no, not not to my knowledge, at least. Mm. Um Okay, so so that's basically just just the is it just Moe's being in, in the mouse floor or yeah Moe Mo goes on the mouse floor and then the and then uh, and then Max and uh, Jamet end up on the uh, on the roach floor again and uh, Moe's has to rescue them from some uh, ro from some roach tufts and it ends up with a big kind of gang war between a, a roach gang and a rat gang. Mm. Well, see, as you as you see, like even even roaches are racist against yes. rats. So therefore, it's all justified. Um, okay. that, that really is just kind of like a recurring theme is just this idea of like everyone being equally culpable in these in these things. Yeah. Um, uh, so then let's see. Then there's uh, a little romance. I think that's the one with the uh, Japanese exchange mouse. Yeah, this is an, uh, this is another this is another kind of uh, story that's more of a character piece for Max because it's about how we get this. We have the like the prime minister of Japan. Oh, no, no. It's the prince of Japan who comes to the White House and uh, a 
I guess he brings with him a uh, a Kabuki troupe from Tokyo. Although when I used Google uh, Translate on the uh, on on the luggage, it said it was from Kyoto. So, so some wires might've gotten crossed there. And oh, they all, they're all the same, all yeah. the same. It's America. I mean, Americans yeah. were like, just slap some, like, uh, slap, slap some of that, uh, that, that, um, you know, that, that, that on it. Some yes. of the writing. What know? the, what 4chan used to call moon speak. Yes. 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 <laughs> Thank and... you. I was, I was trying to think of something to say that wasn't like a slur. <laughs> Yeah. And I failed. Some of yeah. some of that spaghetti talk on there, you know? <laughs> spaghetti talk. Yeah, spaghetti comes from China, but Italians make it best. And no, it's true, it's true. Yeah. Ah, okay. Anyway. Oh yeah, god, so... now that you said that people are gonna think I actually was saying something racist. <laughs> you're, you're saying something racist, but you thought she was Chinese. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So, um, so the, yeah, cause the Japanese, uh, prince brings his pet mice and I think, yeah, the, actually, no, they're, they lived in the, uh, the Kabuki troop suitcase and it turns, which I guess hadn't been out for a while. And now suddenly they're, uh, touring the world and, and the, uh, the Japanese family has a, uh, girl Max's age and he totally falls for her or so he thinks, because uh, Trixie is the one to tell him, you don't love her. You love having a family again. Look how happy you were just eating dinner with them. So that is a that's an interesting way of, uh, I think, of exploring the whole idea of Max, Max dealing with his grief as the series continues. Hmm. Well, it is good. They at least brought that back, you know? Yeah. OK. Now, which of these is the one where. Oh, this is, in fact, the one where Max manages to, for a while at least, finish off the presidential cat. And he is and he's crushed. He was like, I didn't mean to kill him. But as it turns out, the presidential cat is was not dead. He was he's just in a body cast and has a metal plate in his head now. Well, if I were a mouse who lived in the White House, I would not feel bad about killing the presidential cat. Nah. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, him or me, you know? Yeah. So now, we, so for the next two episodes, the cat is still in the body cast. So you are supposed to be watching these in order. It's, huh. A, a TV, a, a sitcom that has continuity like this is very unusual for 1992, I feel like. Yeah, and that is why I think maybe they were in fact intending intending on having a kind of rotating cast, especially because, you know, time changes and there's going to be possibly a new president next year. So so maybe they were they were looking at it like, okay, this one, this episode takes place specifically in 1992. So for 1993, let's update their character designs a little. Max will get a, get a little older. We'll st maybe introduce a, a love interest for him, and it would sort of become a animated sitcom soap opera. Hmm. All right, maybe maybe I'm a being a little maybe I was being a little harsh on them, say that they didn't have any plan about. This. Maybe there was going to be some growth happening along the way. Yeah, um, I, this is just I, what I would be doing if I were running this show. But you know, there's a lot of decisions made that I would not have made if I were running this show. Well, we can see in the few episodes that we actually get, there's a lot of decisions that that are questionable at best. Um, then we we also get the uh, the anti drug episode, which is yeah, it's, it's basically just an anti drug episode. Yeah. Uh, 
that's an anti-drug episode set against the Easter egg roll, which is interesting. Yeah, it's there's a squirrel that becomes addicted to, I guess, caffeine pills. Yeah, and uh, and Jamet happens to have a bottle of them that he scavenged from the uh, from the dumpster, and he has been having this the squirrel bring him acorns in exchange for caffeine pills, and now he's having him bring him Easter eggs. But the squirrel. We, as we, as we later discover, has been raiding his own stash, and now his mother and uh, and siblings are are starving because there's no acorns. Uh, sucks to be them. Yeah. Well, you know. You know what would make this this time pass by faster? Some caffeine pills. <laughs> um, it is funny just because it's like oh, I didn't know that uh, acorns were a limited resource. They kind of fall all the time, don't they? Yeah, there's like there's more acorns all the time. So like, well, we don't have any more. What do you mean you don't have any more acorns? Just get more. They just fall down. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, but the, um, the trees lay them like eggs. That's why we call them egg yeah. corns. Yeah. Um, this episode is just again. It's like it, it's it's weird because I feel like as an adult, if you were an adult in 1992, watching this, you'd be like, oh yeah, oh gosh, I I, I didn't know drugs were bad. Um, <laughs> I just think it's very weird because, like, I think that I most adults, I feel like, have always once you become an adult, you just realize, oh, yeah, the war on drugs is just bullshit, you know? Yeah. So um, so it's weird to see an episode like this in a series that is ostensibly for adults. Um, I think it is, again, just they were like really stuck in that kind of. Uh, children's cartoon headspace so yeah. they're like well, of course we're gonna do we're gonna if we're gonna tackle drugs we have to make we have to talk about how they're bad we have to talk about how bad they are but also since it's for kids we can't actually say drugs so we're gonna have to use the stand-in of uh caffeine pills um uh, you know okay um anyway uh but i i think in the end uh i forget how don't don't aren't there some evil rats who give max a caffeine pill and it makes him yeah like, like yeah they, they pour yeah they pour the bottle down his throat and he's you know staggering around helpless and it's and it's opie who the squirrel who has who rescues him and we spend a lot of time just wondering you know, quote unquote, wondering if Max is going to pull through because the only one who knows how to deal with these kind of things is Muggle. And he and all he says is just keep giving him water. Just keep flushing his system. I <laughs> do. Think it's like a... Yeah, because the, and then Max finally wakes up and he's like, I got to pee. <laughs> I do like where Max is like he's like in bed, like moaning. Oh, and like, you know, like on death's door, um, just just like uh I, I, you know, bags under his eyes, just like, oh, I can't get up out of bed. Oh, yes, being, being, uh, that the well known side effect of too much caffeine. <laughs> so, <laughs> can't wake up. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, they were like, ah, just do give him a drug, uh, uh, you know, a drug. The thing that happens when you do a drug, you know? Yeah. I am reminded of, uh, the mouse on the motorcycle and how dad died because he put an aspirin in his cheek pouch. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like mouse and motorcycle is a more accurate depiction of mouse life than capital yes. critters. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's a story where you can make motorcycles go just by going. Yeah, that 
always that always kind of bugged me about that. Like, what are you trying to pull, Beverly Cleary? I I will buy that the kid and the mouse can talk to each other because, like she says, oh, they both love the motorcycle so much. And clearly, they can communicate. I get that. That makes sense to me. But I've never heard of a motorcycle going when you make a noise. <laughs> Not even a real motorcycle does that. Yeah. No. Fuck is that shit? <laughs> Fucking Beverly Cleary, stick to writing Ramona. Yeah. Write what you know. Jeez. Um, I write, remember as a kid. Hmm? Write ways to amuse a dog. I want to read that. Yeah. I remember as a kid, I was actually really bummed that she wrote like a hundred Ramona books and like only three Ralph books. I was like, I don't want to <laughs> read about Ramona or Henry Huggins or any of that bullshit. I want to read about a mouse because I was a f- fucking furry. Um, <laughs> and that's why you're the only living uh, uh, Capital Critters fan to this day. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Is, is Beverly Cleary still alive? No, she died earlier this year, I think. Maybe oh, it was last year. Oh. She was, uh, she, mean, was she was 104. Yeah. Damn. That is a, I mean, that's a good run. That's a good yeah. run. Um, I know that uh, um, I once saw an interview with her, which is really funny where they were like, I think when she was like 90 and they're like, Hey, what, how, so you're 90 now. And she was like, well, it wasn't on purpose, <laughs> which I thought was pretty amusing. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, you know, what? but, but her books are good. Her books yeah. are good. Mm-hmm. I give her, I give her shit, but like she, I was a big fan of of her stuff growing up. And just a couple of years ago, before pandemic, I was trying to talk to like, you know, I had a school group at work and I was trying to explain something. I forget what. And like some kid was like, oh, what if I I wish I had Ralph's motorcycle? And I was like, Ralph's motorcycle. I know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, we're very clear. This kid was so excited that I knew what very clear was. I could communicate with a child again. Which is rare, because usually when the kids come in, they're just like sus, among us, floss. Yeah, you, you, floss. Under, you both spoke the language of Beverly Cleary, just like the, true. Kid, the kid and the mouse could speak the language of motorcycle lovers. That is that is that is true. Wow. She was she was wise beyond her years. Yep. Um, you know, so, you know. So here's a few more Beverly Clear references for all of you fans out there. Uh, let's see. Um, guts! 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 Uh, <laughs> and um, a million fish in your bedroom. And that's all I got. <laughs> uh, well, the, 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 uh, the real, real Beverly Cleary heads know. <laughs> oh, the 10 foot wax man. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, Mr. Okay, President, so- Mr. President. <laughs> That works in this one too, actually. Yeah, it does actually. <laughs> All right, so I think after that we get um, there's. Let's see. The next uh, one is an embarrassment of roaches, which we've already went right, into already pretty deeply. Yeah, um, I didn't oh, watch the next one. What's into the woods? So into the woods is the environmental episode. Oh. Um, uh, Jamet and Max uh, accidentally go to the forest. They they get <laughs> transported to the forest for reasons that uh through through a series of wacky shenanigans that mm-hmm. are irrelevant to our story they end up in the forest and Jamet is like i hate the forest but then he sees that like bulldozers are going to bulldoze the forest and he sees that there are lots of friendly animals who live there so he decides that instead he needs to save the forest so this is his heel turn he becomes yeah. you know a, he becomes the hero to the forest animals by saving it Anyway. I am the Lorax. I speak for the tweeds. <laughs> so anyway, this is an environmental episode, but again, 
Uh, it is an environmental episode that is that is geared for kids because it is it's basically just like cute animals live in the forest, so we should protect it. Yes, which is in the cult of cutes, kids. I mean, it's not uh, it is not untrue that we should protect nature because wildlife lives there, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, I'm just saying is like, this isn't really the, the treatment. This is it. This isn't like in the Simpsons with a three eyed fish, you know, where we're talking about, you know, environment from a more cynical perspective. Perhaps. Right. Um, but, uh, then the embarrassment of roaches, there's give me shelter, which is the, uh, that's, that's another that's roaches where... and, uh, rats episode. This one. Right. Yeah. Max and, uh, and Janet are in the Roach Town again, and there is there is a scuffle, and a big chunk of the Roach Town falls down. And while Max is seemingly trapped, he finds his way into a forgotten bomb shelter where a rat and a roach have been living together and eating spam for the last thirty years. And this is—I don't feel like this one has any real metaphor. This no, one is just kind of a story about friendship. Yeah. I mean, again, I think there's a little bit there, like, because they, they end up, I think, once they come to the modern, once they are released from the bomb shelter and realize that, oh, we can't be friends because rats and roaches are expected to not associate, they end up in going back into the shelter in the end. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's a story of friendship, and it's also, it is also, again, a, a they're trying to bring once again talk about racism in America, um, and it was which isn't and but again through that 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 uh, that that it's just a thing that happens and we don't know why. Yeah, it, it's just kind of again coming up there. So yeah, I you, really feel like this was a show. Sur- oh, sorry. Yeah, are we supposed to be surprised that people who spent thirty years together aren't prejudiced against one another? I mean, yeah, it's. This is a show that I feel like it really wanted to talk about racism, but not in any actual meaningful way that would be helpful or insightful or um, or thought provoking. It's just they understood that racism is an issue in America and therefore we should talk about it. But they did not know how or what to say, how to talk about it or what to say. It's just it's weird. They even keep bringing it up. You know, hey, racism. I just feel like, you know, yeah, I just feel like they're so ill prepared to talk about it that it's weird that they keep insisting on talking about it. And it just shows that this was a show that came around before social media, because imagine if any of these episodes aired today, how 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 much Twitter outrage there would be about the these clumsy handlings of these sensitive topics. Yeah, this would be the biggest hate watch show. Seriously. God, it was before its time. It would be yeah. a huge hit now. <laughs> or, you know, it's weird because like now if you put this out there, it would it it would be OK. This is a show that was created in 1992 to be as uncontroversial, as middle of the road, as widely appealing as possible. If you put it out now, every single, uh, you know, everyone, every every hit hip millennial with blue hair would be like, this is incredibly blinkered and neoliberal and, uh, you know, just, just ham fisted and doesn't know what it's talking about. And every chud would be like, I can't believe that they're talking about racism on TV. Why did they put a, they put those cockroaches on TV. 
they that they'd probably be trying to force political correctness down our throats. They're not political correctness. They call it cultural Marxism now, don't they? Yeah, right. So it's a show that today would please nobody. Who did it please when it came out? Well, you. well, I think the idea it didn't please anyone then either. But I feel like the intention was they did. They basically went out to focus groups and said, this is the this is the 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 political, uh, um, you know, uh, viewpoint that will be least controversial. It will not make anyone angry. And I feel like now it would make everyone angry because, <laughs> you know, like. I, I don't know. But again, in those days, nobody could respond. If you got mad about this, what were you going to do? You know, S- send a letter to your newspaper, letter uh, to the editor. Dear sir, I am very <laughs> mad about this new cartoon show, Capital Critters. I would venture to say it is not capital at all. Hey, you notice that they spell know. capital with an O, even though this doesn't actually take place in the capital. Oh, you're right. The Capitol is not the same thing as the White House, is it? Yeah, cap. Yeah, yeah. The White House is in the is the Washington D.C. is the capital of the United States, capital with an A, and it's and a Capitol with an O is a building, and it was the Capitol was what was uh, invaded on January sixth last year. Oh, so what's in the Capitol? Uh, that, that is like- that is where the uh, se- where the Senate and uh, the and the and the House of Representatives uh, gather to make laws. I, I pretend to know something I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know more than I do. I mean, they're probably right because I think weren't they in Nancy Pelosi's office? Yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go, man. You know what? It's where if the they... State of the Union happens. I know that much. God, if they if they made Capital Critters today for a modern audience, I mean, just imagine the sort of God. I mean. Uh, if they try to do it in the same toothless way, that this would be uh, insane. This this show would feel like it was made by a lunatic. But <laughs> if they actually made it like in any way reflecting, now. I mean, if they actually made it reflecting modern politics in any way, uh, it would also seem like a show made by a lunatic. So I don't know how to win that one. Um, but you could make a very, I feel like you could make a very prescient satire about uh mice living in the white house nowadays i I don't you know i don't know but um anyway um so i think that i don't i don't remember any of these other ones here what actually happens in these so i don't know did you watch any of these other ones or i watched the lady doth protest to munch because Ah. it sounded you know it sounded like it might be interesting but it's not interesting (laughs) yeah so what is that one about that is a hunger striker she said yes yeah there's yeah, so uh, the the mice are watching as a as a bill is being signed for uh, for hunger relief, and then they decide not to sign it. Uh, they decide to veto it. And uh, Berkeley, this is like the only Berkeley centric episode, as far as I can tell. You know, gets so angry that she decides to go on a hunger strike, and everyone's telling her, "Who is going to care? You are a rat. Nobody nobody cares if a rat is hungry." I mean, they're they're kind of right. Yeah, they're they are, and and that's one of the things that kind of you know, you know, why do you call out how poorly conceived your own characters are? <laughs> <laughs> it is a weird thing where these rats are concerned at all with human politics, like how Max was upset about that corrupt senator, because it's like you you don't you know you you are not like 
uh, Sherlock Holmes, like Basil Baker Street, where you're uh, reflections of what's above. You're just you just happen to be living in the basement of the White House. There really is no reason for you to care at all about the politics of humans. Um, but I guess occasionally they do for yeah. reasons of the episode. You know, you know, Berkeley is is very concerned about these kind of things. And, you know, it doesn't make much it doesn't make much difference because nobody pays attention to the rat holding a postage stamp that says save the whales. And and, you know, is this the show that gave you your long term complex about mice wearing clothes? Oh, where I can't figure out. Yeah. Uh, you know, it might be because what? OK, because when they meet humans, right, when humans see them. Can yeah. the humans see the clothes? Well, they must they must be wearing clothes because we have seen that when Muggle explodes, he leaves his Hawaiian shirt behind. So the, right. so the clothes must be literal. So the fact is, people can see the clothes and they don't give a shit. <laughs> They're just like, oh, that's a normal thing in this world. Mice wearing clothes. Yeah. You know? that You know, I, I feel like you could get, you know, some much more act you know, some much more pointed uh, commentary on prejudice, you know, from exploring this and why it's okay for these, for these clearly sapient creatures that wear clothes and speak English and can understand what humans are saying, why it's okay for them to have to eke out a living uh, under the floorboards. <laughs> you know, I do find it interesting because a lot of times in this sort of uh, media, where we have animals who are clearly living in a world that's like ours. They're humans and they're animals and they can't communicate with each other. You know, not a furry world, but, but, a, but a normal, they're supposed to be a reflection of our world, but the animals wear clothes. If they have a human animal interaction, very often the animal will conveniently lose their clothes right before it happens. Mm. Um, happens in the secret of Nim happens in once upon a forest uh, it does not happen in Capital Critters. So no. that just that. Yeah. So it just indicates that in Capital Critters, mice wear clothes and they're sentient and everyone's just like, oh, that's that's normal. Also, we're just going to gas them. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, also, the, the lady does protest to munch. It ends with, you know, partway through it, while Berkeley is on her hunger strike, she ends up sh revealing to Jamet that there's a little girl who is going to bed hungry, and he's you know, he's like, okay, okay, I, I understand. Hunger exists. It's not far away. And at the end of the episode, we see him and Muggle delivering food to this little girl, and Muggle actually speaks to her. He says, uh, this is from Jamet. He felt bad about you being hungry, but don't tell anyone, because he likes people to think he's a big jerk. And she goes, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, well th that just, that just blows uh, all my, the entire concept of uh, Capital Critters as I understood it, like out of the water. Like I don't know what to make of this show at all anymore. If the mice not only wear clothes, they can talk to people and yet, okay. Well, maybe, maybe that is a commentary in itself because look at our, man's inhumanity to man because we know that our fellow humans are sentient and can wear clothes and talk and look yeah. at how we treat them so i guess it's to be expected we'd be worse to mice wouldn't make yep. any difference i mean if yeah tomorrow, they're like homeless people you can step on even yeah i mean know, that's not true. some people do anyway but <laughs> if we found out tomorrow that mice were sentient we probably would not change anything about the way we deal with them you know mm-hmm 
Um, I mean, it's like, you know what? Al, also, that really does look like a cigarette that Trixie has uh, got in her mouth. <laughs> Where I does she really, get this tiny cigarette? <laughs> I, <laughs> I really think that is a cigarette. Oh, we would call it cigarillo, I guess. In that do case. they have? Yeah, do they have just one cigar cigarette, and they just you know peel off a little paper and a little bit of tobacco and roll it up for her? I mean, that would make that that would make sense. Um, I mean, some of the things they own seem to be like uh, you know um, my my size things, and other things are human sized things that they just use. Yeah, there's a table in Jamet's room that's a Nixon's the one button. Yeah. Oh, hey, I have a question. Uh, is this the episode that has the gay pigeons? No, that's number two. That's in of that's in of the I sting. Uh, yeah. The gay pigeons. What was up with that? I guess in 1992, that was uh, acceptable. I guess gays were still an acceptable target. Yeah, uh, but it's they weren't considered. They weren't even considered other enough to be cockroaches. We had to make them pigeons. Yeah, it's it's um, I don't know. if Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a weird thing. I remember that um, it's I mean, I, I guess it's not at the it's not the worst depiction of a gay character from that time period. But it's it's I mean, it's kind of what it's kind of. Yeah, they're very, they're very friendly. They're not bad guys. But at the end, you see Janet in bed after his encounter with the pigeons going, no, keep away, keep away. Uh, yes. Well, there, there's always got to be that uh, the, the gay panic. You know, mm -hmm. everybody loves that. That's 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 them's the jokes, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, I think Jamet is a very accurate portrayal of a right wing person in that he portrays himself as apolitical. But, uh, you know, he's very much out for himself and that kind of swings you right further and further. That's true. He is definitely a, a uh, if, if nothing else, a um, a has a, con a culturally conservative mindset, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so actually, yeah. So in our um, in our political dichotomy of of. Um, capital critters we've established that um Ma jamet is right uh berkeley is left uh max is the sensible centrist yeah uh trixie we still haven't figured out if she's supposed to be anything yeah i think uh, yeah i think trixie is yeah i think trixie is undecided whereas uh and muggle is like apolitical or you know part of you know something so fringe that it doesn't even get counted Muggle, um, yeah, he, we don't really get. He lo he looks like he should. He looks like he he should be an internet libertarian. But <laughs> um, well, that's but yeah. what Jamet is basically. Yeah, you know, it's uh, again. I think this is perhaps it is telling of America that when they made this show and they're like, we're going to make this show, um, you know, un you know, j just uncontroversial. Uh, with entrepreneurial political opinions, like Max is the viewpoint character. We got to balance left and right, Jamet and Berkeley got to balance that. But they're like, okay, but like the, the left is going to be kind of annoying and you're not going to see her very much. Yeah. And Jamet, even though he's kind of an asshole, he's a lovable asshole that we, we, we like. And he's like, uh, he's, oh, actually he's good. He's also yeah. good at heart. He's basically know? the main character. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it is a thing that you see a lot in American culture, where every time you do something is is, is like, oh, this is apolitical. It's like, no, it's actually right wing. It's yes. always like that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this show 
did not last because it's not good. It's I don't think it's very funny either. Uh, I don't think it's, you know. Well, we could have saved you two hours by saying that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is just a thing that every time I, whenever I watch, I'm just fascinated because it feels, it feels like such a weird, um, almost time capsule of its time. It really is. Yeah. yeah it is. It was, it's because a time capsule doesn't have to be planned. This is the kind where it fails on so many levels and every failure tells you something about the time in which it came from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's why I just, yeah, I'm just always, I'm just always, uh, just, just spellbound by this thing. Just, it feels like it's not just the, not just how it, um, is, is a time capsule of, uh, politics and, and worldview of 1992 and what was considered, you know, a, a normal mainstream uncontroversial, uh, worldview, but also just the fact that it is the it is a um, a cartoon that definitely seems to be from a, a previous era. You know, yeah. this is when the Simpsons was revolutionizing animation uh, in America. And this feels like it just it's 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 a day a, a day late and a dollar short. You know, I feel that but that, you know, it can be saved, but it can. But primetime was the wrong place. It should have been Saturday morning. And mm, it should mm. have been educational. It should have been, you know, teaching kids more about how government works from the perspective of these mice. Actually, that that could have worked. It would be just like Schoolhouse Rock, you know? Yeah, pretty much. And there should have been like a musical number about, uh, you know, how, how uh, you know, how the veto works and stuff like that and filibusters and that kind of thing. You know, because, I mean, the way the way it works now. Actually, you know what it really reminds me of in some ways? It's like shitty Fraggle Rock. <laughs> you have the humans who are the gorgs, you have the the rats who are the fraggles, and you have the roaches who are the doozers. Oh, and, yeah. And our main characters, you know, Gobo, Moki, Wembley, Boober, and Red, they're not related. They're just friends. And that seems to be how this works, because, you know, although we have a mother and son combo and two cousins and Muggle, who's just there, I, I kind of feel like Muggle should have been somebody's boyfriend. He should have been Trixie's boyfriend or else Berkeley's. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they don't really... Because they just introduce him in the first episode, and they're just, hey, I'd like you to meet Muggle. And it's like, he's going to be part of this show, too. Yeah, I am. <laughs> so, good. Cool. <laughs> um, man, uh, you know, they're actually looking through the uh, uh, the voice cast. They, they had some pretty big uh, guest, guest uh, voices on this show. Oh, really? Um, it doesn't say who they played, but they had Helen Hunt on this show. They had Robert Picardo. Uh, oh yeah they had jeffrey tambor uh, uh yeah yeah um let's see yeah lots of uh lots of beloved uh voice actors greg berger michael bell i definitely heard michael bell paul eating uh dan gilvesen that's bumblebee uh yeah rob paulson of course can't oh, have yeah. can't have one of these without rob paulson so yeah, Russie Taylor. Yeah, they're pretty much any everyone who was anyone was in this. So, and Tim Curry, yeah. like I said, he of was course. doing he was taking a big turn toward uh, voice acting at this point. <laughs> um, 
Now, apparently, there was also, according to Wikipedia, uh, Capital Critters did have uh, toys from Burger King Kids Club. Mm. Um, Jammet, Max, Muggle, and a presidential cat sitting on or emerging from miniature Washington, D.C. monuments. Um, but, uh, unfortunately, the Nintendo uh, video game for the Super NES was canceled. So we'll never get the Capital Critters game. Darn. I... So, boy, they canceled Capital Critters. They canceled Socks Rocks of the Hill. We just can't get a video game that takes place in Washington, D.C. I guess they just they just think kids aren't interested in politics, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's... Well, uh, well just wait till we do... Um, who's the, is there a dog now in the White House? A dog? Oh, um... Yeah. Oh God. There's yeah the the first the remember that stupid Twitter account about the presidential dog thing and the dog was oh, oh yeah the dog was oh. always biting Secret Service agents. Hey, there's oval. the thing right there. Oh, there you go. That'd be great. Oh, you're thinking of Oval Pothis, right? Oval Pothis. Yeah. Oval Pothis. Oh, I yes. hate that. Yeah, where the dog apologizes for his bad pup behavior. That's not even a pun. Someone compared my Twitter to that, and it was like. The, it was the, the the biggest. I've never been so roasted. <laughs> I, I would be so mad. I was I was so mad, and I was just like, I was just like, what am I gonna? I was like, what am I gonna do? They got me. They got me. I'm just like, and the worst part is, like, I tweeted about it, and a whole bunch of people didn't realize that I do Midnight Pals, and they were like, yeah, that's right. That that account is just like old pop. They're like, oh god, no, no. <laughs> I felt like it was like being at my own funeral and seeing everyone be like, that ah, piece of shit. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Anyway, once I get that Hugo, fuck you guys. Yeah. Now who's laughing? I'll get up there and be like, yeah, Poval Oval Poffus. Now who's now who's Oval Poffus? Anyway, I'm, I hope I win. I'm going to look very stupid when this uh, <laughs> this episode comes out. God, what if it turns out that one of your competitors does Oval Poffus? Oh, shit. Oh, what if they win? Yeah, <laughs> if Oval Poffus wins over you. Podium, it was me, <laughs> Oval Poffus, all along. I wasn't weavy gravy at all. <laughs> just whip off Aurora Mask. <laughs> Crazy accordion music starts playing. Like, <laughs> jump into a know? giant death machine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you know that Wavy Gravy was a real guy? Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't just he wasn't just a uh, flavor of Ben and Jerry's. I thought it was just a line on the Simpsons. Nope. Nope. Wavy Gravy was the, uh, he was the clown of uh, San Francisco or something like that. I forget what it was. And, he, and he's, he's still alive. Oh, hey. Well, good for him. Um, I, he was, you know, wasn't he part of the Merry Pranksters or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And of course, and yes, because they were so into the uh, 60s hippie movement, there was in fact a uh, Ben and Jerry slaver called Wavy Gravy. And Wavy Gravy and his wife were nuts about it, so. <laughs> well, I mean, if I had an ice cream flavor named after me, I would definitely eat it a lot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I would serve it at every function and be like, hey, guess guess what this ice cream is called? Yeah. <laughs> guess? Guess? You, yeah. you guess? You give up? You give up? <laughs> it's me! <laughs> unsurprisingly jerry garcia was a big fan of cherry garcia that makes sense yeah um man what a time to be alive imagine you could just write you give yourself a weird a, a goofy name and drive around in a volkswagen bus and just do acid all day that's the way to be yeah why don't we have to go to jobs and shit Ugh. no if only there were some mice to teach us why the world is like this 
Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, Cavill Critter really dropped the ball. Yeah. Anyway, oh, that's actually pretty good. We should, um, uh, we should cut it on that one. Yeah, there we go. Mice. More right. like lowercase critters. Oh, uh, no, I'm going to cut there. That's better. Okay. <laughs>